tonight we're going to go ahead and begin our series in First Thessalonians. And so, why, why, why are we going through First Thessalonians? Well, first of all, First Thessalonians, if you guys never read the book, it's, it's a book, it's a letter written by Paul to the church in Thessalonica. And Paul here writes a very encouraging letter to the church. This is probably one of the most encouraging letters um, in the Bible. And his love for the church is just evident. It just it spreads throughout the letter. And, and Paul is just encouraged by the by the fruit that the Thessalon, that, that that the Christian Thessalonians displayed. Um, and he wants to continue to encourage them. He wants to encourage them to continue growing, continue doing more, continue to produce more fruits. And in many ways, the Paul's heart for for the church in uh, in Thessalonica. It reflects pretty much how I believe I feel about you guys, how Pastor Hanley would feel about you guys, how we feel about in transit. It's we, we've been so encouraged by all of you. We've been so encouraged by the by what you guys have done, the love you guys shown to one another, the fruit that you guys have bore. And and it's just it's just such a great time to be here on Thursday night, and we're so thankful to have people who just come out and are willing to fellowship with one another, willing to listen to the word of God. I'm, I'm just never hesitant to invite a guest here at In Transit because I know you guys will be willing to welcome them. And, and even though I feel this way, my heart is the same as Paul's heart here in Thessalonica. I want us to continue doing more. I, I see so much potential here, so much, so much potential for us to do, just to do so much because of the way God has blessed us, the way God has equipped us. And, and, and as young adult time, where you're you're still figuring out your careers, you're 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 making money, and you're now your bank account suddenly starts going up instead of dropping down in school, and and you're just you, sometimes you just don't know what to do with it at all, right? And you're you're trying to figure out how to deal with your time, trying to deal with balancing work, trying to figure out church life, trying to figure out where you want to settle in, and and during this time, there's just so much potential for us to do so much more for God, and this is the way I want to push us. Through this series, I want to encourage us to continue looking forward, to continue looking and keeping our eyes fixed upon Christ and upon the gospel and upon God's kingdom. And this is why I want to go through this this book, this letter to the Thessalonians. I want I want to do all this, and 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 I I want to be able to show you guys just just Paul's heart for this church. So that's why we're going through First Thessalonians. That and was because I also have to study First Thessalonians for Greek next semester. <laughs> <laughs> With that, why don't we go ahead and turn our eyes to the first verse of First Thessalonians. First, Thess- first Thessalonians, chapter one, verse one. First Thessalonians, chapter one, verse one. The normal introduction. Here's what it says. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Here we get an introduction to the author. And what I'm going to do right here is I'm going to talk about Paul. I'm going to talk about Thessalonica. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and take us back to Acts and see Paul's ministry in Thessalonica. And I'll spend about the next 15, 20 minutes to talk about 
hear the background, the context for this letter. And as we as we engage in that, after we go through this whole background context, I'll come back to First Thessalonians and we'll cover the main purpose and the themes in First Thessalonians. So here we get Paul, the the main primary writer of First Thessalonians. And here he, but here he also introduced himself with two other partners, two other partners called named Silvanus and Timothy. Silvanus he is another name for Silas. Silas is one of the two men uh, sent out by the apostles to accompany Paul on his missionary trip. And, and Silas or Silvanus was a very faithful servant, a faithful partner of Paul's. Timothy, we know Timothy a little better. Paul wrote personal letters to Timothy, and we have that in our Bibles. Timothy he plays a more significant role in First Thessalonians. He is the one who Paul sent back to Thessalonica to give a report on the church. And it's based on this report that Paul writes and pens this letter. Simply put, I, I wanted us to focus in on this because Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, Paul puts them all together here as one unit. And that's important because Paul uses the, the first plural pronoun, we, or us, many times throughout the letter. And so when Paul does that, we always have to ask ourselves, who is Paul referring to as we? And most of the time here, he's referring back to, to, to this team, to this team of ministers. Now, Paul wrote this letter to the church of Thessalonica. And the church of Thessalonica is, at that time, the capital of Macedonia. The population of the city, around 200,000 people. And it makes it actually the largest city of its district during that time. And, and Thessalonica was located upon a major trade route. So it was a busy city. There's a lot of business going in and out of the city. And in Macedonia, during that time, Macedonia during that time was underneath the Roman Empire. So it was underneath Roman control. However, Thessalonica was considered a free city, meaning it wasn't ruled by Roman officials. The Romans actually allowed Thessalonica to have their own citizens govern the city. So it was considered a free city during that time. And so, as a result, what we see here is that Thessalonica is a thriving city. It's a city where its citizens... They don't seem to feel oppressed by the Roman Empire. They don't think they don't feel as if you know there's a lot of suffering happening. Instead, they don't they don't seem to mind the Roman occupancy at all. And so, with this perspective, why don't we take a moment and actually look upon Paul's relationship with this church? And in order to look at that, let's turn our eyes to then the Book of Acts. So, take your Bibles. Turn with me to the Book of Acts. In Acts chapter 15, verse 36, Acts chapter 15, verse 36, we have Paul and his old travel pal Barnabas. They already went on a trip together, and here they're preparing to go on another trip. They're, they're, they're being sent out. But Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement. They did disagree upon who should they bring with them on this trip. Barnabas preferred a man named John Mark, but Paul chose Silas. And, and here's where we meet Silas, or Silvanus, as we saw in First Thessalonians. So then, and then from there, Paul and Barnabas went their separate ways. Then as we move on to Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, verse 1, we meet Timothy. And Timothy here was a highly regarded believer, and Paul immediately took him as another companion. 
So here, then, this, this makes our trio. This makes our, our big three, right? The three musketeers here just going off. And, 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 and this here sets the scene for who will arrive upon, this, upon the city of Thessalonica. Now look at me, Acts chapter 16, verse 6. I'm going to go ahead and read the section for us. It says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come upon to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Here we, we get an important scene about how God is the one directing where Paul goes. God's sovereign hand is in play here. And while we don't know exactly what stops Paul from going to Asia, we, we know that Paul and his team recognizes God's hand in play. And the providence of God is working here. And so ultimately it is God who leads into Macedonia to Thessalonica eventually. Right? And so and so we have to see here that sometimes we don't need to have a necessary heart for location. Like we, Paul didn't think I need to get to Macedonia. He was trying to get to Asia. But yet God plan will always work out and where he sends you is where he wants you to be to do ministry upon entering Macedonia you have this group of ministers they, they, they go ahead and enter Philippi and from Philippi they end up in Thessalonica and that's where we're going to go ahead and take a look to see what Thessalonica is all about so turn to the next chapter Acts chapter 17 Acts chapter 17 verses 1 through 4 here it says now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on, a, on three Sabbath day, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. So Paul here, he enters Thessalonica and he does what he usually does. Here, there's a custom he, he does all the time when he enters the city. He seeks out the Jewish synagogue and he preaches to the people there first. He reasons with them. And the message of Paul is clear. This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. I Meaning Jesus is the Messiah declared in the Old Testament. Jesus is the Messiah declared in the prophecies. He's the fulfiller of the law. He is the one promised by God. And many responded here. Right? But know who responded. A great many of the devout Greeks and a few of the leading woman. So it's not just the Jews who responded. It was a small, very small handful of Jews who responded. But the majority was the Gentiles. 
the Gentiles responded to the, to the gospel. And again, we see a common pattern that was played throughout Acts. It was, it was always the Gentiles who seemed to respond more to the, to the gospel. Now it says here that Paul did this for three Sabbath day, meaning he went to the synagogue for three straight weeks, reasoning and teaching Jesus Christ. But as we go into First Thessalonians deeper into the series, we will see that Paul's heart and the way he labored for, for that church there must have lasted longer than three weeks. I mean, there's, this is not like a short-term mission trip. Right? Anyone who's been on a short-term mission trip know that two, three weeks is just not enough time to build the kind of heart and labor that Paul describes in the letter to First, Thess- in First Thessalonians. This was probably several months of evangelizing and discipling believers. But wherever, wherever there is fruit for the gospel, there's, guys, there's also op- opposition. That's true then, it is true now. Our faithfulness will never be a ship smoothing sailing, uh, smoothing, uh, smoothing sailing through the sea. The gospel is just too countercultural for that. It, it battles too many of the world's philosophies. The gospel is always a call to repentance, and the world will hate that. And so wherever the gospel produces fruit, you can be sure that their opposition will not be far behind. And so that is what the Christians, so that's what the church here faced in Thessalonica. We keep reading with me, verse 5 says, But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who, t- who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Oh, poor Jason. He's just, just, what happened to him was just injustice. It was unfair. He, here's, a, here's a newly converted believer. And probably he, ha- he was housing Paul during that time. Paul and, and the rest of them. And then the city field knocked on his door, and by that time, Paul and, and Silas and Timothy, they, they have all fleed the city. Instead, they dragged Jason out. They dragged other believers out and put them on trial. And it wasn't until they forced them to post bail, that's when they were able to go back home. And so what we see here is that Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they had to flee the city of Thessalonica in a hurry. They didn't leave on their own terms. Paul was devastated by this. He didn't have time to even set up leaders for the church. There's no one who can carry the work of the ministry there. And he was burdened by this. He, he, wanted, he wanted to know how they were doing. He was worried about the disciples he made there. And that's why later on he sent Timothy back 
to see how they're doing. And when Timothy gave his report, Paul felt compelled to write First Thessalonians. And what we saw, what we will see is that Timothy's report was encouraging, that the church was thriving, that God's hand was moving, and the gospel does not die. So again, so given this context then, given this context, let me just go in and wrap up this little background section with two application points that we can see from Acts. First, Paul demonstrated here how he discipled other people. He didn't just teach them. He didn't just teach them. He, he didn't just leave them. He walked with them. He invited them home. He invited them to join him in his life. He took Timothy, a young faithful believer, and put him under his wings. He, he, he said, Timothy, watch me. Watch how I minister the gospel. Imitate me. And this is, this is an aspect of discipleship that, sadly, I think is a little bit lost upon us today. And, and when I say that, I want to be the first to admit that I myself, I, I struggle with this. I struggle with this with, with how I try to disciple people. It is difficult for us to invite people into our lives just so easily and so openly. Right? It, it's, it's tough to invite them in and have them see our strengths and our weaknesses, our, our success and our failures. And, and, and sometimes we just regulate discipleship. There's just simple meetups over coffee, over meals, and, and that's all we do. And that's what we call discipleship. And, and while that's not bad, there's definitely great benefits from those. I know many of you guys have benefited from great conversations over meals. I believe we can do more. I believe we can do more that, that instead of just making discipleship just this conversation, let's invite people into our lives. So we can say how Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Watch how I make decisions in my life. Watch how I live out the gospel for other people. Let's disciple people with our lives. Not simply just by teaching them head knowledge, but walking with them, living life together. And that's something I think we can all improve on, including myself. The second thing we can learn from Paul's time in Thessalonica here is how Paul approaches missions. We think about short-term missions, we, we, we should think about it in the context of how Paul does so in Acts. Paul here focuses upon building up the church. It wasn't just about evangelizing. You don't just hand out gospel tracts and then, and then you know, leave the country. He, he didn't just serve the orphanages. He didn't just serve the homeless and then share the gospel with them and then left. He stayed with them. He stayed with them. He discipled them. He worked to build them up. That was his heart. It was intentional. It was deep. It was relational. Paul wanted to make sure there was a local church established wherever he was at. And that's why I believe short-term mission trips should always revolve around the local church. Should always revolve around the local church. I, if there's no local church in the area you're going to for missions, then we should be partnering with an organization that focuses upon planting a local church there. That that would be one of their goals. Because again, if we just go there for two weeks, three weeks, and all we do is share the gospel and some people get saved, how do we disciple them? Where are they going to go? 
unless you're planning to be there for a long time to help build up a church, I believe our short-term trips should always encourage the local church to be built up. So here we get then we get then an example of how Paul does discipleship, how Paul does missions. Now let's turn our attention to the first letter Thessalonians. So let's turn back to First Thessalonians. And I'll talk about the themes and the purposes of First Thessalonians. Now, as I was digging through First Thessalonians, I was reading through in my devotional time, I come to focus upon one particular part of First Thessalonians that I think will serve us as a good way of introducing us to this book. And that's found in First Thessalonians chapter three, verse eleven to thirteen. First Thessalonians chapter three, verse eleven to thirteen. Here we have Paul praying for the church. Paul prays constantly in his letters. He constantly writes words of prayers to the churches that he has built up. He, and his prayers, his prayers tend to be encouraging. They tend to be exhorting. They tend to be uplifting. They tend to be Christ-centered, God-glorifying, and spirit-led and if you guys are reading through the New Testament, your own personal Bible reading, here's a little tidbit on how to you know, understand why Paul's writing certain things. If you want to know the purpose of a letter, like you know, why is Paul talking about election in one letter? Why is he talking about justification in another letter? Oftentimes, you can find that purpose, his heart intention, in his prayers. Look to his prayers, and you'll see here what's driving him to talk about certain doctrines. There's talk about certain application. And so here in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 11, 13, we get here Paul's heart for the Thessalonians. Go ahead and read the whole passage for us. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. In this prayer, we get two main requests here or two main appeals and we get one purpose statement for this prayer. And we'll look at these one at a time. The first thing we see here is is a prayer. The first request is a prayer it's a prayer for Paul to return, a reunion between Paul, Silas, and Timothy with the, Thessalon- with the Thessalonians. And Paul here prays specifically for God to lead them back, for God to direct them back. Paul's desire was to complete what he left behind. He, he wanted to see the Thessalonians face to face. And this is not to say that you know, the, the growth of the, t- the church depended upon Paul. Like, you know, when Timothy gave a report back to Paul, Paul saw that the church didn't really need him. God was working there. But Paul, his heart wanted to disciple them. He longed for them. He, he, he wanted to continue to spur them onward. He wanted to remind them, hey, let's not, get, let's not get stagnant here. Let's continue going. Let's continue pursuing Christ. Let's strive forward. Let's not make any pit stops. Let's continue down this race. Here, we see one theme that we'll see constantly in this letter. And it's a theme 
of Paul's yearning for those that he he discipled. It's the heart of discipleship. Paul was never a one-and-done type of evangelist. He constantly taught his people. He walked with them. Paul was a living embodiment of the Great Commission. And here we see Paul's heart for the testimonies, and we'll see that over and over again as we continue to study this book. And so the question is, for you and the people you're able to minister to, what does your heart look like? Does it look like Paul's here? Another thing that we'll see here is God's providence. Right? God is the one in sovereign control over all things. It is God's will who will lead Paul and his team back to Macedonia. It is by God's hand alone that Paul can be there and minister to them. Nothing can happen without, Paul, without God's direction and God's permission. And I know for many of us, many of us, we tend to ask ourselves, what is God's will for, for me? What's God's will for my life? And it's a question we, we tend to wrestle with, a question that, that we just want to know. And, and, and I know we have good intentions for wanting to know, right? We, we want to live for God. And it would just be so much easier if God just tells us what to do. Throughout our series in First Thessalonians, we'll look upon this. We'll look upon this topic of God's will. And we'll see how God has revealed His will to us. It may not be very specific to our liking, but God indeed does have a will for us. He does give us commandments to follow and to obey. And we'll see then how to live out our lives in accordance to God's will. At least in accordance to God's revealed will and what He has revealed in His Scriptures. God's word here is sufficient and enough for us to live faithfully, live faithfully for him. And so we'll look upon this theme as we continue our series. A second appeal that Paul makes in his prayer here is Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians to grow, for them to grow spiritually. Over and over again, as we've said before, Paul affirms and boasts of the testimony, the testimony of the faith of the Thessalonians. Right? In chapter 1, verse 7, Paul mentions how their faith has become an example for all, the, for all of Macedonia and even their neighboring uh, district, Achaia. And in chapter 3, verse 6, Timothy reported of their growing faith and love. And so Paul here has no doubt that God is working mightily within this church. And yet Paul's here Paul's prayer here is, so, is for their love to continue to grow abundantly. He doesn't want them to be sitting contently. He, he doesn't want them to treat loving your neighbor as a checklist item. He wants them to see it as a way of life, to continue striving forward in that way. God appeals to God to increase their love because God is always a source of the church's love, Right? We love because God first loved us. And therefore, in order for Thessalonians to continue to grow in their love, they must continue to depend upon God and His love for them. And I want us to pay attention here. Pay attention to this prayer. Because Paul here prays for Thessalonians' love to increase. And that's great. Right? We, we all want that. But note here why Paul prays for this. 
He doesn't just say, increase their love for the sake of God and His glory. And we, we might expect that. But He doesn't say that. Instead, He says here, increase their love so that God may establish their hearts blameless in holiness. Here, we get Paul's purpose of his prayer. His desire to see the church sanctified. He wanted to see this church in a holy state, in a blameless state. Paul here makes a clear, direct line between God's will and our sanctification. Right? I mean, he he says this pretty directly later on in chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. God is not just in the business of saving people from hell. He is constantly working in his people, redeeming them, renewing them, renewing our hearts, renewing our minds, renewing our souls. So what we see here then is a strong tie between our obedience to God and our personal sanctification. Uh, and I know this is not necessarily something new. We, we've heard this many times. We, we've asked ourselves, um, you know, we, maybe sometimes we have to spend more time with God. Maybe I'm struggling with a sin issue. And therefore, let me just go and retreat away. And we spend more time in the Bible and we pray some more. And, and, and we encourage believers, you know, to get plugged into a small group, to get plugged into a community. You know, do that before you serve right away. And we, we encourage people to do that. And that's good. But how many times, how many of you guys have done that? I still feel like, you know what, I still struggle with the sin. I still struggle with my anger problems. I still struggle with lust. No matter how many times I seem to try to retreat away, I continue to come back and fall. Where, how do I become pure? How do I become blameless? Look at Paul's progression here. He prays first for the testimony's love to grow, which will then lead secondly to an establishment of blamelessness and holiness. Just just think for a moment of the profound implications of this prayer. You see, many times we treat holiness, we treat blamelessness like the way we treat like new white shoes. We buy them and and we we buy them, we examine them, we, we enjoy them, but we just never wear them. Because we just, we want to keep them clean, right? And we want to just like, you know, dirt on it, speck on it, just wipe it, just wait and just put it back in this box. And many times we treat our personal holiness that same way. That we think that in order to stay pure, we just have to make sure we cut away and wash away everything. Just try to scrub that smudge away. But God here, God here wants us to be functional Christians. That's what it means to be blameless. He wants us to live out His commandments, to live out our holiness. In other words, wear the white shoes. Use them for what they're made for, walking. That's how you fulfill the purpose of who you were created to be. In other words... As good as it is to spend our time in Scripture, as good as it is to have our personal quiet times, in order to really grow in Christ is to live out what we learn. 
during our quiet times? Is your love for people growing during this time? Or are you only doing it so that you feel good about yourself? How well do you love the people around you? I want us to see that our personal holiness here is connected directly to our love for the church and for the people around us. This here is how we should be defined as Christian. Do people see you as a loving person? Do you take an extra step for them? Do you go the extra mile? And look, I I know that our culture today emphasizes love a lot. They talk about how we need to be more loving to one another and Many people these days accuse Christians as not loving as they out. And to be fair, we, we should just accept that humbly. That, yeah, we can do better. But many times their definition of love is just too shallow. I wouldn't say they're wrong. I just think this is not deep enough. They believe love is more about tolerance, more about listening and accepting one another. And, and while there's, there's good things that come out of these claims, I don't think that's really the full picture of what God, how, how God describes love. If you want to see what Paul here is talking about, remember Paul says he wants them to increase in love as he does for them. So how does God, so how does Paul love the, the church of Thessalonica? If we flip back chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. Paul here writes, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that you might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. Paul here labored for the church. He labored in love for the church. And not only that, it says here he did it as a tent maker. He, he didn't want, he, he, he had a side job to support himself. He didn't want to burden them for them to support him. He wanted to simply love them freely. And so he worked tirelessly for the church, expecting nothing back from them. But here's the thing. We can say the same thing about so many other people in this world, even unbelievers, right? Mothers, for instance, sacrifice all their time, sometimes even their careers for their kids. So what separates Christian love then from the love that we see in unbelievers? What makes Paul so different from all the other hardworking people in this world? Verse 9 says he did all this while he would proclaim to, to them the gospel of God. He did it while preaching to them the gospel. You see, our labor of love our labor of love must never be the stumbling point for other people. If people hate us, if people don't respect us, if people don't return back any love towards us, they don't care about what we do for them, it must be because of the gospel we proclaim, but not because of how we've been acting and behaving towards them. The stumbling point for them must always be the gospel. And this is why Paul connects his labor to his character. The Thessalonians were witnesses of his holiness, of his righteousness, of his blamelessness. When Paul preached the gospel, he also lived it out. 
In other words, his holiness, righteousness, and blameless are, was not measured by the world's definition of love. It was measured, it was held against the gospel that he preached to them. We love others not for their approval. We love others for the sake of God, his approval, for his gospel. And that requires a different kind of love, one that is holy and blameless. And so how do you love other people? Do you love them for the sake of uplifting the gospel? Do you love them so that people can see with their eyes the love of God, the God who saves? Or do you love others in such a way that protects you from pain and harm? Do you love others in such a way to avoid shame that values your own comfort? See, throughout the series, we're going to be covering this theme over and over again. And it's this theme of sanctification. And there's a connection between our sanctification to our testimony to others. And especially our testimony before God. See, my prayer for you is the same as Paul's. I have been highly encouraged again by all of you. The Christmas party was an example of that. Just encouraged by all the people that were invited, the way we engaged with different people, the way that I saw everyone just being brought together, how I didn't see one person just sitting alone, how we were able to just talk to every single person there and connect together in our tables and eat and fellowship together. I'm encouraged by all that. But, listen, but let us not be complacent. Let us continue to spur each other on in holiness and love. Let us continue journeying together, running this race for Christ as one body. Guys, let's, let's remember the work is not done. The task is unfinished. I want to encourage you guys all. During this series, in your small groups, or with a friend, accountability partner, Think of ways that you continue growing your love for God, growing your love for other people. And I think that will help us make the most of this series. One last thing that, that's covered here in Paul's prayer, and that we'll see throughout this book, is the second coming, the second coming of Christ. And then I'm not going to get much into you know, the second coming here. I have, actually have a lot more, more to study on this topic. But we should recognize here that Paul refers to the second coming in 1 Thessalonians a lot. About, I think it's mentioned at least once per chapter. And so, and so what this does for us, what the second coming does for us, it provides a context for us. It provides a perspective for us, a motivation, a focus for our mission here on earth. You see, Christ will indeed come back one day and at that point, all people will be judged. And so then, let us not rest. Let us not be caught off guard. Let us instead be ready, constantly working, constantly working to strive forward in love, day by day, in full anticipation for Christ and His return. Big idea that, we're going to, that we got here for tonight from this short little prayer, God's sanctifying work in our lives is outwardly expressed in our ever-growing love for others. God's sanctifying work in our lives is outwardly expressed 
and our ever-growing love for others. And so here we have a tie, connection between God's work in us to our love. To conclude this message, I wanted to bring us back to Christ. See how Christ does all this. Christ is the center of this prayer. Remember here that Christ is the center. <laughs> Google doesn't have the answers. Siri doesn't have the answers. Christ does. Christ is the one who we must always look at and learn from. And he is the one here that establishes our hearts as blameless and holiness. He is the one who causes our love to increase. He is the one that will come back with all the saints and angels. Christ is the center of all that we do as Christians. And to see that clearly, to see how this reflects back to Christ, turn with me to John chapter 15, the Gospel of John chapter 15. I'm not going to go in depth in this. We're just going to go through it real quick. In John chapter 15, Jesus describes himself as a vine and we are the branches. And we have heard this little description, this metaphor many times. John 15, Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says that apart from him, we can do nothing. So Jesus is the source of our love. He's the source of our joy, of our righteousness. He's the one who enables us to bear much fruit. Look then to verse 9 and 10. Jesus commands us this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So here we see we are loved by Christ. And again, there's a tight connection, tight relationship between Christ loving us and us abiding in His love. And our obedience to His commandments comes from that. What is Jesus' commandment to us here in John 15? Verse 12 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. This is what Paul is praying for in 1 Thessalonians. This, this commandment of love is tied in, again, directly to us abiding in Christ's love. Don't, don't ever separate those. Our personal holiness is connected to our obedience then note how Jesus defines love here. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Then at this point, Jesus turns to his disciples. He turns to us. He looks at us right in the eyes. Us who are sinners. Us who are enemies of God. Us who have broken God's heart over and over again. Us who are disobedient, who do not believe, who are unfaithful. Jesus looks right at us with such great love and compassion. He says this, verse 14, you are my friends. And Jesus did indeed lay down his life 
for us at the cross, dying for our sins, reconciling us to God. Jesus is the gospel. And now we are tasked to carry that message, that message of salvation to the rest of the world. Therefore, let us strive forward. Let us move forward. Let us run forward, embodying the gospel of Christ, the self-sacrificing love of Christ that he has shown to us. And let us proclaim the gospel in holiness, without blame, without any blemish. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. Your, your overwhelming grace where your love is poured out through Christ to us. And God, we see then just how wonderful you are. Oh Lord, I pray, I pray this prayer that we, God, will continue then to, to grow in our love, both for you and for other people. And that Lord, we will recognize that our love for others, that is, that is what defines our holiness. That is what defines our sanctification. Lord, may we move forward to live out the gospel for others, to proclaim it to other people so that your gospel will spread across the world. Father, help us be better disciplers, to be better ministers, to be better Christians. Lord, help us embody the gospel with our lives. Thank you, Lord, for everything. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. So, Father, let me just then pray what Paul prays here, that our God and our Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ may indeed increase and abound in love for one another and for all so that Christ may establish our hearts blameless in holiness so that we will be ready at the coming of you. Thank you, God. I pray all this in your name. Amen.